Well, hello, I'm Eliza Jones, and for as long as I can remember, people have been telling me that I should turn my wildly detailed dreams into short stories. Just for fun, I like to interpret my dreams, and some of the results are weirdly accurate, outrageous, or funny. With my tongue firmly in cheek, I'll share these dreams and interpretations with you, along with superstitions and other paranormal things. Welcome to Wouldn't Dream of It. This week's dream is called Living with the Enemy, and it is a little difficult for me to read aloud because it flips many of my fear switches, including losing access to my children. This was an extreme fear of mine from the moment the first one was born until the second one's 18th birthday. Please bear with me if my voice goes a little off. There are two adults in this dream besides myself. I will call the man Chet and the woman Helena. My children were young, maybe two and four. Things weren't going great for us financially, and instead of helping us out, my children's father, Chet, was planning to take them away from me. He didn't give a reason for taking them from me. He just wanted to maybe, I don't know, flex his dominance over me using the one thing he had that I didn't, extra money. Literally on my knees, I was begging Chet not to do this. I was sobbing so that my words were almost unintelligible, but he was unmoved. This was not a man with a tender heart or sympathy for the suffering of others. Finally tired of listening to me beg, he informed me that he'd been married the whole time we were together. This actually made my sobs stop abruptly. What? How could I not have known this? I certainly never intended to have two children with a married man. How could this happen? What signs had I missed? Chet went on to say that he had confessed everything about our kids and me to his wife, Helena. She was livid at first, he said, but then she got an idea. Those kids need a complete family, she said to him. She decided that it would be best for everyone if my kids and I moved in with them and I would do work for room and board. Chet thought this was a great alternative to separating me from the kids, but I'm sure he actually was thinking from below his belt. My face stained with tears, I broke into deranged laughter. Oh yeah, I shouted, come live with my baby daddy, his wife, and our kids. Ignoring my wide-open mouth and my tear-stained face, he said this was the only way he would stop pursuing sole custody of our kids. Accepting the offer was my only option since I didn't have enough money to fight a drawn-out custody battle. My reaction to this offer touched many emotions. There was more maniacal laughter, evolving into shouting and then screaming, finally disintegrating into tears of defeat. I told Chad I'd accept his offer. Every day from then to moving day was spent in despair. I packed our modest belongings into cardboard boxes of various sizes and shapes that I had managed to procure from several local businesses. Our last night together in our home, the kids and I piled boxes around a huge air mattress to make walls around us and draped a sheet over the top. Snuggling together in our moving box fort, 
The children slept while I agonized over the changes my little ones were about to face. Although I thought I feared the worst, my imaginings were far better than what was about to happen. Morning broke on moving day, and Chet took us to a huge Victorian-style house that was painted to look almost like a gingerbread castle. This isn't where you told me you lived, I muttered to Chet as he walked with us toward the front door. <laughs> I rented that place just so you'd stop bugging me about seeing my place, he said with a chuckle. My face smashed into its most perplexed expression. We ascended the painted concrete stairs to the wraparound porch. As if on cue, Helena grandly opened one of the double front doors. Ignoring me completely, she hugged each of my children and kissed their foreheads as a mother would. She asked for their names, but they were too shy to provide them. When I spoke up, her inattention to me was flawless. She waited for Chet to tell her their names, and then holding one in her arms and the other one by the hand, she led us inside. Helena showed me to a room on a below-ground floor that probably served as servants' quarters in the early years of the historical home. This is yours, she said, giving me the up-down look. Thinking about how to make this tiny room into a new home for my children and myself, I asked if we were going to use one big bed or three small ones. Follow me, was her answer as she turned and left the room. We ascended a well-worn, narrow, wood staircase to the second floor, which was the first above-ground floor, and then we started up a much grander, glossy-finished, cherry-wood staircase to the third floor. Placing my youngest child on the floor, she flung open the double doors of a huge suite and told the children that this was their new room. Oblivious to what was happening and excited by the toys and big fluffy beds that awaited them, the kids ran happily into the room. Helena closed the double doors as I began protesting. They can't be this far from me. How will they find me? I cried as she grabbed my upper arm and squeezed it. She had some sharp rings or something turned inward on her hand and the squeezing drew a little blood. Watching the small drop of blood run toward my elbow, she said, deal with it. Over the next few days, I didn't see my children at all. I tried going to their suite, but I was told each time that they were with the preschool tutor. I tried to catch them at the table at dinner, but I was told they were eating in their suite using a tea set they had bought downtown that day. While someone else had been shopping for tea sets with my children, I had done laundry, prepared three meals and cleaned up after them, swept and mopped floors and dusted. I was working like I was Cinderella or something, and if Helena caught me sneaking away from my chores to look for my children, she would grab my wrist or the back of my neck with her sharp inward-turned rings. I hadn't seen Chet for a few days when suddenly he and Helena walked into my modest bedroom without knocking. I stood up and immediately started demanding to see my children. Chet told me that Helena thought it was best if the children didn't see me for the first few weeks, maybe longer. Horrible realization washed over me as I understood what was happening. They weren't just boarding us. They were trying to make my children their own. With a wail of despair, I pushed past them and flew toward the stairs to the main living area, screaming my children's names. 
Helena caught me by the collar and threw me to the floor on my back. I rolled over, and as I tried to stand, I felt a slash across my back. I was being beaten with a belt. At that point, thankfully, I woke up. Sweating, disoriented, and terrified, I had to look around the room to confirm where I was and that I had been dreaming. This dream hit almost all of my psychological triggers, so the relief of finding myself back at home had me almost in tears. I almost decided not to share this dream with you because of its extreme nature, but I hope that what I have to say afterward will help someone. What does this nightmare have to tell us? Some of it is similar to other dreams where my children are small again and I'm feeling that I need to feel needed and that sort of thing. But there are a few differences. Let's talk about those. To dream that you have a rival indicates that you are hesitant in asserting your rights and standing up for yourself. Consequently, you are losing your credibility with others. To this I say, (laughs) hesitant to assert my rights? All right. (laughs) Maybe she wasn't a rival after all. Who knows? To see children in your dreams signifies an aspect of yourself and your childlike qualities. You may be retreating back into a childlike state where you are longing for the past and the chance to satisfy repressed desires and unfulfilled hopes. Perhaps there is something that you need to see, grow, and nurture. Take some time off and cater to the inner child within. Yeah. I have time for that to happen. If you dream that you are separated from your children, this symbolizes failure in some personal endeavor or a setback in some ideal you had. That may be, but I think the dream really was about my fear of being separated from my children. As adults, I'm now safe from most of the ways that I feared losing my children, but their adult lives will take them away from me. The only way to be a successful parent is to let that happen. In a woman's dream, a woman, such as a family member or friend, is often representative of an aspect of her own personality, but often one she has not yet fully understood. Yes, I see that dark part of my personality that few people have ever seen. I don't need a dream to bring it to my attention. I am working on it. Moving on. To dream you are being verbally or physically abused suggests that you are being victimized in a waking situation. I've been working through all kinds of things with you, my listeners, physical abuse being one of the monsters that haunts me from the past. However, this dream compels me to remind all of you that domestic violence comes in many forms. A person may not realize they are a victim until their super smart sleeping brain slaps them over the head with it. If you are experiencing domestic violence, help is available when you're ready. You can reach the National Domestic Violence Hotline 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. They can provide support in English or Spanish, and through an interpretation service, they offer service in over 200 other languages. When you're ready, call 800 799 7233 or text the word START, S-T-A-R-T, to the number 88788. I will include these numbers in my show notes in addition to links to the National Domestic Violence Hotline's official website and online chat. 
If you're listening to my podcast on a service that doesn't display show notes, please send an email to me at wouldn'tdreamofit at gmail.com. That's Witten without the apostrophe. Wouldn'tdreamofit at gmail.com with the subject episode six. And I will be happy to email a copy of the show notes to you. Sometimes I go off on humanitarian tangents, and that's because I believe everyone deserves to live their best life. It's always difficult to transition back to the show content after one of these, and I can't find a good way to progress from here to superstitions. Wait, maybe I just did. Last week we talked about bats, and no discussion of bats would be complete without a follow-up about vampires. From Bram Stoker to PC and Kristen Cast, from Bella Lugosi to Robert Pattinson, vampires have terrified and fascinated humans for centuries. Until modern storytellers brought us romanticized versions of these supernatural beings, they were exclusively associated with evil. Historically, vampires were required to feed on the blood of the living to survive, and according to some legends, those they hunted and fed upon would become vampires themselves. Some vampire origin stories claim that the bodies of criminals and heretics became vampires, and others assert that babies born with teeth are vampires and will eventually become slaves to their bloodlust. Various narratives throughout the years have ascribed very detailed attributes to vampires, including having hypnotic sexual powers over humans, casting no reflection in mirrors, and turning into bats so they can go longer distances in search of prey. Because they are dead already, they can only be destroyed in a few ways, such as exposing them to sunlight, driving a stake through their heart as they sleep in their coffins, or shooting them with a silver bullet. Although repelled by garlic, iron, ringing bells, and crucifixes, these things are not believed to harm them. Looking into where legends began is tricky. In the case of vampires, some say the vampire was the creation of the minds of people repressing sexual desires. I'm inclined to believe the medical explanation that likens the vampire's bloodlust and aversion to sunlight to symptoms of certain diseases. In the late 18th century, when vampire legends seemed to have originated, there wasn't an understanding of the causes of illness and disease. Under those circumstances, it's easy to see how superstition created explanations, however unlikely they may be. I've gotten some feedback that the weekly astrology discussion could almost be a separate podcast, and I agree. I think that I might cut back to once-monthly astrology highlights, still using the cheekier side of each sign so that we can laugh together and at ourselves. I don't want to disappoint my listeners at any time, so please send me feedback on social media or by email. We're called Wouldn't Dream of It on most social media platforms. You have to type the words with no spaces in between and leave the apostrophe out of wouldn't. You can email me at wouldn'tdreamofit at gmail.com as well. The next episode will drop on Friday the 13th, and I'd like to do something special. We will skip the usual show content, and we'll talk about myths, legends, and true stories, all about the number 13, as well as Friday the 13th. I hope that sounds fun, but if not, I hope you'll join me on the 20th for a return to the dream interpretation and superstitions. 
wouldn't dream of it, is created, written, and produced by me, Eliza Jones. The theme song is an original song called Dreams and Nightmares by Twisted. That's Twisted with a Y. Find them on Facebook as Twisted Twisted, both with a Y instead of an I. There's also a link to their Facebook in my show notes. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you next week.